Hello and welcome to Kiss My Black Side with me, Brenda Imanis. This is a celebratory look at art from a black perspective. In this show, we talk to some brilliantly talented creatives who have made their mark in the world of dance, film, fashion, music, theatre and the visual arts. We discuss their work and inspiration and then we get to do a little deep dive on issues related to their specific art form. And as we're talking, we figured it would be nice to end each programme with a specially commissioned spoken word tribute to our chosen topic, which in this episode is film. This podcast is produced by Free Spirit Productions Limited and brought to you by Sadler's Wells. Sadler's Wells is one of the world's leading dance organisations and in 2022 they're celebrating work by black dance artists with Wells Seasoned, a year-long programme of live performances, dance films and more from black choreographers, dancers and artists of colour. Now, excellent talent is what we're bringing you in this episode in the form of writer, composer and director James Samuel, whose debut feature film, The Harder They Fall, has been a truly exciting and refreshing cinema offering. This all-star, all-black, unique take on the Western film genre was so original and thrilling and featured a to-die-for A-list cast, which included the likes of Regina King and Idris Elba. Our other guests are the dynamic duo behind We Are Parable, an award-winning company that provides audiences with opportunities to experience black cinema in culturally relevant, memorable and unique ways. Anthony and Tian Andrews have taken the cinema experience of watching black films beyond sitting with your mates in a box of popcorn to creating a legacy of bespoke experiences for black audiences. A Kiss My Black Side special welcome to you all. James, I'm so glad we got you because I was absolutely ecstatic about the film. It was so genuinely refreshing. What do you think resonated with audiences? Because it was well received. Um, I think the reason why um, it was so well received is, is just, you know, giving people um, something that they've been they've been missing from the um, Western, Western genre, something that they've been missing from that genre and putting a a new perspective on it, right? Um, I would say a correct perspective on it. One in four cowboys were black. Cowboys was a name that was given to black people. It wasn't even a name for white folks. They were called cowhands. So I think when you put all of these things into context and you create from that um, from that standpoint, you're always going to have something that um, that touches a nerve and, and strikes a chord with with the masses because it's something that they've never really seen before. Um, uh, and also just, you know, the, the unapologetic uh, approach to the, you know, to the filmmaking. Um, I think that's why, that's why it was received in the way it was. And also, you know, I'm a G. So when I do, so, <laughs> yeah, I can give you a Shakespearean answer and sound all intelligent, but the fact of the matter is I'm a G, you know what I mean? But I think being a G means that you are authentic. And it is that I think it's that authenticity of the work that also resonated with people. But very not many black filmmakers have the opportunity to do what they want in such a bold way. How comes you found yourself in that position? 
I think just because um, who I am as a, as a person, it, it, you know, it took me like probably over 10 years to put this, put this film together. So um, the only way, the reason why it took so long is for me is because I wanted to do it in a fashion um, and the way that I wanted to, I wanted to do it. If I shot it, you know, like 10 years, 10 plus years ago, it would have been a much smaller film. I would have had to make a lot more compromises and this and that and the other. But in you putting it together, you kind of have to wait for the universe to catch up, so to speak. The, uh, you know, the, re the reason why a lot of us creators in general, not just black people, um, don't find themselves in that type of um, uh, position is because they, you know, they want to make something and they need to make it kind of um, immediately. They need to make it as soon as they get the opportunity. But I, had opp I had opportunities to make a version of this film, but it wouldn't have been the way I wanted. So it just was a longer wait. And that way, when I do do it, it was in a fashion um, where I have the freedom and, and the um, creative um, wherewithal to do what it is I need to do. I remember interviewing Spike Lee once and asking him whether he felt a weight of responsibility when he was filmmaking in the fact that black audiences are starved of original narratives, you know, and, and there seems to be, we put a lot of pressure on our filmmakers to deliver something that we're going to be excited about and good. When you have a, a cast, which is so amazing, and you're redressing the historical balance in terms of narrative, did you feel a sense of responsibility? Yeah, I think you feel a sense of responsibility kind of just brushing your teeth in the morning, like just being black and in the position that, that, we're, in, that we're in. And I don't mean in a successful position, I just mean in, a, in working in this um, industry and in this um, business on any level. You, I, I believe you do have a responsibility, whether you want the responsibility or, or not. You know, I can't really um, um, speak for anyone else, but I, I welcome the responsibility. And you do have a responsibility to tell the story and to give your people something that they um, that they can hold up and um, and be proud and be proud of, and something that represents us, you know, in a dope in a dope way. So you do it. You have a strong responsibility to not be careless with your with your narrative, not be careless with your um, with your presentation, and also um, that responsibility makes you stand by your guns even more with things that you're that you're going to put in a movie or put in your you know, in your artistic endeavor and that you're not going to change, you refuse to change. So there's a lot of those things, but it does boil down to um, responsibility a lot of times. And before you cut your teeth as a director, you were an accomplished singer-songwriter who went with the moniker The Bullets, and you've worked with such an eclectic mix of artists from Damon Albarn and Most Death to Charlotte Gainsbourg. How important is it to you to mash it up in that way, to, to work with such a diverse mix of people? Uh, it's super important. I, I think, like, you know, the people I work with are people that I listen to, right? I don't um, have a track record of working with a bunch of randos that I don't actually um, revere. So people I work with, um, um, I love them. And, and then, you know, that's super important because then your ideas, um, your ideas keep flowing, your ideas come to you. But if you're working with people that you don't really... Um, love or don't move you in that way, then you're, for me at least, I'm stifled um, idea-wise. My ideas stream keeps flowing, but I think that's because I keep collaborating with people that are just um, super dope and inspire me with ideas and such. 
Now, speaking of super dope and inspiring, you have a special relationship with Jay-Z, which is long, uh, has been formed over a, a long and solid time. How would you best describe your relationship and how you collaborate and what you learn from each other? Um, we're, just, we're, just, we're just brothers. We met um, by Jay Electronica when I was um, producing Jay Electronica's album like, in 2010. We did a song um, called Dinner at Tiffany's with Charlotte Gainsbourg and Jay Elec. And, um, and from there, we were just, you know, we were just brothers, just a, a brotherhood. And when you meet like a, another creative, like a super, super creative, you know, you're going to have a stronger bond because of that, because of that reason. And, you know, in the spirit of collaboration, the world would call it collaboration, but it's not as if we go in to collaborate. We're just always um, creating stuff when we're, when we're talking. Like, oh, it'll be wicked if, oh, could you imagine when... And what if it's just a it's almost like a normal conversation it's just that those things end up um uh guns go bang with kid, kid cuddy or the harder they fall or you know it's it's a it's just really um um brothers just kicking back and forth and and uh and uh having fun but then you present that dish to the world and you have you know what i mean you have like pure gangsters in the mix and a huge hit Call the harder before. Yeah, you create magic. You know what really yeah. fascinates me is your whole approach to filmmaking and who and what inspires you. For example, you mentioned Alfred Hitchcock and Roald Dahl and Roald Dahl, his, his approach to chaos. Tell mm-hmm. me a bit about that. Why those two in, in particular? I, don't, I, I think um, those two in particular were just the ones that touched me the most as a kid. I, Roald Dahl is, is possibly the best children's storyteller since The Brothers Grimm. Right. And and he uh, but also Roald Dahl, you never grow out of Roald, Roald Dahl as a storyteller. As a kid, you'd be drawn to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James the Giant Peach, you know, all of that stuff. But uh, and Matilda, but as you get older, his you find the stories of Roald Dahl that were adults, like the, you know, like Pig or Royal Jelly, his short stories or the wonderful story of Henry Sugar, which is my favorite book of all time. You grow up with Roald Dahl and you don't stop um you don't stop really reading him and his approach to um narrative storytelling with Hitchcock I mean Alfred Hitchcock was just a gangster like the master of suspense and he just he, he the way he'll mix like dark humor with um you know with with drama and stuff and his balls in his shot composition where he'll place the camera and Psycho, killing off the lead actress halfway through the movie. Just the, you know, the, the Alfred Hitchcock is the reason why we go to the cinemas on time. Like why we get that at the end of the movie. Before Hitchcock, you'll get to the movie halfway through. It was just like a so going to the movie was like going to the movies was like going to the to the bar, going to the wine bar. And then he released um, Psycho, and because he was killing off his lead early, he made a deal with the theaters not to. Um, let people in after the beginning, after the sh- film starts. That's when people started going to the theaters, making sure they got that at the beginning of the film. So this guy was just a trailblazer in so many different ways. I read about, about him. He doesn't seem like he was the nicest of guys, but art-wise, he was a chief. Now I want to turn to two really nice guys who, who make sure that we go to the cinema on time to see Black Film in the most yeah. bespoke and inspiring way. And, and Anthony and Tian Andrews, uh, tell us about We Are Parable. It's such an amazing concept. How did it evolve and how did it start? So, I mean, it really started from um, 
just having a love for black cinema growing up. But really the, the nucleus of the idea came from us being at home, being a bit depressed and watching Coming to America, which is both of our favourite films. So for anyone who doesn't know, myself and Tian, we're a husband and wife uh, duo. We've got two small children. And uh, yeah, it's one of those films that we put on when we're feeling a little bit low. And we put that film on in 2013. And one of us said, you know, that, that film's celebrating its 25, 25th anniversary soon. And actually, you know, I don't think we've ever seen it in the cinema. So we thought, okay, look, there's an opportunity here to put it on into our local cinema and, you know, let's have a chance to see it on the big screen. And we felt our peers and our friends would feel the same way. Um, so that's exactly what we did. We got in touch with our local cinema and we put on a screening of the film. But then me and Tian, we kept on talking about, you know, just the, just the, the pomp and the, uh, the environment of that film. And we thought, look, there's more than we can do. There's more that we can do. Um, when it comes to actually screening this film. Could we, for, for example, have rose bearers throwing petals on people's feet as they walk in? Could we turn a cinema foyer into an uh, African marketplace with arts and crafts makers and designers and fashion makers all coming together to sort of show the best of Africa? So we did all of that. We created those moments around cinema um, and almost to try and redefine what it means to go to cinema and watch a film. Uh, we had dancers, we had drummers, we had, um, I think we had the poet there as well all coming together to create this performance and cinema um, kind of, um, uh, I'd, I'd say, this, this, this kind of combination of things going on at the same time. And, um, yeah, it came out of that. And, you know, we just continue to create amazing experiences for audiences who really want that culturally relevant, um, unique and memorable uh, moment when they go to cinema. And, Tian, what do you think your work has taught you about what Black audiences want and what Black filmmakers need? In terms of audiences, you know, I guess, they want to show that they've been represented, but also they want an experience. I think a lot of the work that we've done is really looking at our audience and coming from all the events that we've produced over the years that we've been going. The stream that's kind of, the feedback that's come back is that they've enjoyed coming to the events because they've enjoyed being around other people, black people, they've enjoyed looking at our culture, but doing it in different ways, different art forms but also gives them a new way of coming to a cinema, new reason to wanting to come to a cinema. Now you credit film director Spike Lee for having had a massive impact on what you do. What happened and how did you meet him? So I'm a massive Spike Lee fan. I, I really grew up on his films uh, in, the, um, in the early 90s. Um, watching Do the Right Thing on BBC Two when I was like 11 years old was a game changer for me. Um, so I've just always grown up with his films. And then when we started We Are Parable, um, I always, had the idea of creating a Spike Lee retrospective um, and it turned into Spike is 60. Um, so in 2017, Spike Lee was celebrating his 60th birthday. So, I, you know, we had the idea of thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could create a nine month long film festival of Spike Lee's films, showing 12 of his films across two different cities, London and Manchester, and, you know, do it and, and do it in a way that only we could by creating you know, really memorable and culturally relevant experiences around. Um, so we've done, lo we did loads of events such as, um, in the Rio Cinema in Dalston, East London, uh, it was Art Deco Cinema. We had a saxophonist playing music over the top of Mo Better Blues to really further immerse people in the world of the film. We did street parties for Do The Right Thing. And we, saw how we had all of these events taking place over nine months. And then halfway through the festival, we get a call from the man himself, Spike Lee. We get an email, in fact, saying, hey, this is Spike Lee. I'm going to be in London for a few days. We should meet. And we thought, you know what, this is something that, you know, we've been dreaming about that, that could happen. But in what when we spoke to him a little bit more, we were like, look, can we 
can we get a picture with you? Can we just have a chat with you? And he was like, no, no, let's do an event together. Let's actually try and sell some tickets and get people to come down and hear me talk. So we thought, right, we can do that. So in three days, we put together a, an audience with Spike Lee, um, where he spoke to a UK audience, the first time he'd done that in 15 years, uh, 400 people, it sold out within minutes. Um, and he, you got full-fledged access to the man himself, doing the talk for about an hour and a half, talking about his career, his life, his passions, his dreams, um, and then meeting and greeting um, all of the people that came along, you know, people bought their merch, people bought all of their, you know, all, all of their kind of like memorabilia for Spike to sign. And that was the event. Um, and, you know, being able to get Spike Lee at our event was the film that really trajected us forward. So I always say that Spike Lee changed my life twice. And, you know, sitting in, like, watching my black and white TV when I was 11 in 1991, watching Do The Right Thing for the first time. And then in 2017, when he um, was part of our event, you know, that really changed our lives. And, you know, he was able to speak to that audience. That was an amazing moment for us. James, from what you're hearing, do you see value in, the, in what um, Tian and Anthony are doing? Do you think that encourages audiences to go to the cinema and have a, val- a different experience? I think it encourages people to go to the cinema and have a, um, a kind of more immersive experience in general, not just um, black people. You know, when they were talking, I was like, oh, wow, we should do something like that with the Harder They Fall. You put live musicians in there and, you know, um, uh, that's a really amazing, amazing thing. And I think um, it's something that cinema needs as well because it pushes the language of um, cinema forward. It actually pushes the, the IQ uh, forward of, of cinema in general. I, I think um, it spans kind of like way beyond black people. When you hear something like We Are Parable, it doesn't have a colour. It's just that it started mm. from because of Spike or or um, whatever the, the 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 reason it was, but the actual mm-hmm. um, um, the actual format is is amazing. It's amazing. I think it 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 goes much further beyond any you know demographic. It's interesting because we are we are black and we want to do as much for our, our people, our community, and our culture as as possible. But you know, also we got to think beyond um beyond that and how to maximize the potential of of what we create because what happens is is we are parable will be created it'll be so so dope and while we're sitting around saying you know it's great for us and this and that and the other then white folks will just come take it and it'll be like parable we are and bring that to world worldwide and make billions billions of it but i think you know it, in short, um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, yes, it is, it is a, a, a dope, dope format. It's a dope thing. It brings everyone to the theatre. Yeah, totally. And I think um, we actually worked on the Harder Day Fall with Netflix when um, it came out, James. And one of the things that we um, wanted as part of the event, um, we were able to get the costumes and that went down with the audience because it was a way of them kind of, looking at the artistry craft and really kind of being able to kind of get with that moment as well of the films. And I think, yeah, it That's kind awesome. of spans over with not just kind of black audiences, but we always say, you know, fans of black cinema. So whether, yeah. you know, outside of that, if you just love kind of what we're doing, then come down. But yeah, I'm totally right. I think it is the kind of thing where we're 
seeing that a lot of people of all different races are coming to our events because they're just lovers of black cinema. And yeah. I think that's, yeah, was something that we're really kind of passionate in terms of pulling forward. I think you're all right because it, I think black cinema does um, appeal beyond our audiences. If you look at the likes of Moonlight and Black Panther and The Heart mm-hmm. of They Fall, yeah. they've all penetrated a much wider audience. So do you think, do you agree, or do you think that black cinema is in, in rude health? Do you think we're in a good place? Yeah, you know, I'm an odd one to... Oh, my perspective on that is totally different. I've always hated the term black cinema because black people don't wake up and feel black. We're just humans like everyone else. What happens is <laughs> when we leave our house, we're made to feel black, right? The Harder They Fall is not a black Western. It's a Western. What ha- If Star Wars is not a white sci-fi movie, then The Harder They Fall ain't, ain't a black Western. It's just, just about those... Those people. I remember going into HMV in um in a megastore. Virgin, no, it was it was, it was HMV in Oxford Circus, and it had this. This is years ago, and it had this. Uh, uh, I went to buy some DVDs. Had black cinema, shove black cinema, and on the top of the black cinema stock was Hitch. I got really? so angry. I moved them to the regular section. <laughs> But Will Smith is the only black person in it. Literally the only black person in that movie is Will Smith. Literally, just for me, I, I think like um like I'm really proud of who we are. And I wouldn't want it, I wouldn't want it um any other any other way. But man, like Hollywood has done a number on us and they always find ways to to marginalize us. And one of them is um is the labels they give us every time out the gate, right? So a lot of times we embrace those, we embrace those um those labels, but you know, it's a it's a I do think there's there's I do think there's two sides to that coin. But in answer to your question, I think we are in a we are in a great place because there's you know just a, a, an array of amazing um creatives right now operating in front of and behind the behind the camera. This is a we're in a I'm really happy I'm in this era with um, uh, amazing um, directors and visionaries of the same background as me. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a really um, mean and black. So it's a really uh, awesome time. I, I think we are in a, in a great place. And also we can get things done easy now but by using the phones and YouTube. You've, you're seeing a lot more um, opportunities for creatives than we had, you know, when we were kids. When there was only cinema, really. But now it's this, the, even television's in the healthiest, in the most amazing space it's ever been. And then streamers, and, you know, which is a, a big answer to um, uh, having movies with black people um, made. Because that black cinema thing is, is the reason why Hollywood wouldn't fund <laughs> movies with black people. They'll use this racist foreign distribution model and talk about how much your film is worth. That's why it took so long to do the hard way for. How much your film is worth in Germany, in Russia, in Ukraine, wherever. They'll go all around. And if you had a black cast, they would um they would say it's just not worth anything. It's not it, we can't sell it, resell it for the budget it costs, which is which is BS. And then the streamers came about. Netflix, Amazon, Apple TV, this and that and the other. And they all they beam all around the world at once. So they don't care about foreign distribution. Um theatrical market because they don't uh they don't use it and so the harder they fall could get made i don't believe a studio 
Um, even though they say that they, they would have done, but I don't believe the studio would have made the harder they fought. If they would have done, where were they? All those years when I was trying to get it made. You know what I mean? That's fascinating and insightful. Now, Anthony and Tian, your part of your work relies on black creatives having the opportunity to deliver and create um, what they want and in the way that they want. Um, are you excited by what you're seeing, how things are evolving? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited. I, you know, I definitely echo what James says. I am excited about what's happening, but I think it's really important that we see a sustained movement towards more of this happening because I think, you know, the 2020 was clearly a, a, like a watermark for everyone in terms of, you know, BLM, in terms of the pandemic, in terms of black people dying from the pandemic, um, more than white people. You know, there were all of these opportunities that all of a sudden came to fruition. And I think now we're seeing, you know, we are seeing the, the benefits of that. But, you know, I think a lot of our job is about ensuring that that continues. And one of the things that we've done to ensure that it continues is a new project that we've uh, created called Momentum. Um, we partnered with Channel 4 um, to provide mentorship for 60 black British filmmakers in the UK um, to give them mentoring um, for six months with uh, industry professionals to give them access to industry masterclasses to give them mental health support because obviously it's a very um, tumultuous and challenging industry that they work in and you know give them the opportunity to get work made so the, the partnership for Channel 4 came about because we want to get um, work from these Black British filmmakers commissioned to see on screen. So it's not just about screening work for us anymore. It's really about in enabling and helping filmmakers to get their work made in the first place and then hopefully to get their work seen by audiences. So, you know, I am very hopeful about the, the state of the industry at the moment, but there is a lot of work to do. And I'll, I'm, always I'm always reminded of um, Kobe Bryant. Um, I think it was game two of the NBA finals one year. And um, that he, you know, he'd won the second game. So there's two more games to go until they won the NBA championship. And you know, a commentator said to him, aren't you happy? You're going to give us a smile. And he was like, look, job's not finished. He was like, if the job was finished, I'll give you a smile, but the job isn't finished. And I feel that same way about, um, about the state of the industry. You know, we've made great progress in the last couple of years, but there's so much more that needs to be done. And I see us as being a true part of that. I want to ask you guys, Tyler Perry has managed to do something phenomenal to create the largest production studio in the United States and to be the first African-American to outright own a major film production studio. Is it ever possible to have even a humble equivalent of that here in the UK? James, what do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. These, um, everything starts with a, with a vision. Absolutely, I think um, uh, it's possible. Before he did it, literally the day before he did it, we would have asked ourselves, is it ever possible to have the largest film studio like that in, in the US, right? And the, but he had the vision and, you know, and he, he, that was his goal and, and, he, and he's done it. Um, I think it's absolutely possible to have that in the, in the UK. And also we have the, you know, really the only currency in this industry of any value, right? The only real currency of any value is ideas. And those with the ideas always, um, always win. That's the only currency of any, any value. Everyone will be talking, it's who has the ideas? It always comes down to who has the ideas. And, and you know, from even speaking to the folks behind We Are Parable, it shows that, you know, in the UK, there are slew of um, great people in front of them behind the scenes. Um, with great with great ideas all it takes is us coming to us coming together as soon as we come together it sounds cliche because it never happens but as soon as we um 
come together. Like there's no, there's no stopping anything. The United Artists was made um, by United Artists was made by uh, Charlie Chaplin, Douglas Fairbanks, and I think Mary Pickford. Mm. Three artists come together. DreamWorks was Spielberg, Katzenberg, Geffen. You know what I mean? But you never ever get Spike Lee, Tyler Perry. Da, 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 da. You just don't. I, for whatever reason, you know, there'll be more arguments in front of the camera than behind the scenes. I'm at home like, what the hell? We need to, Tyler's got the studios, Spike's got the films. The, 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 like, you know, everyone, as soon as everyone comes together, me, we are Powerball, uh, Ratman, like just Idris. There's no, there's no stopping anything. There's no commodity like the gold that is black people. There's no more valuable commodity. I don't care where you go. There's no more valuable commodity. So as soon as everyone comes together, uh, we that's how I got the hard way for me, bringing Jay-Z, Idris, Albert. I brought everyone together before I even hit Netflix. Like we were all uh, doing this thing. And it just shows what happens when, when um, you know, we all work in, work in tandem or work in, in unison. I think when we, you were talking about responsibilities earlier, it's our responsibility is to empower each other. But I have to empower, we are powerful. We both have to empower you. Us three has to empower British Blacklist. It, it, it goes on. As soon as everyone comes together, man, it is no stopping us. It's just that Black people do not come together for whatever reason, Brenda. But I'm getting goosebumps at the prospect. I really genuinely am. Fully. Let's hold it's that and energy. Let's do that. Let's definitely yeah. do that. Now, it's been such a revelation speaking to you all, but before we go, I'd like to end the programme with our past the baton moment, which is where I invite you to tell us someone who's inspired you from the past and why, or someone you're currently inspired by so that our audiences can share and know more about these wonderful creatives. So why don't we start with you, Anthony, and then Tian, and then James? Um, I think someone who I'm inspired by, um, if we're thinking about films specifically, I'd say Horace Ove, um, just because of the stories that he wants, he wanted to tell, um, just because of the time that he was telling these stories, he just felt like a fearless artist. And, you know, I feel like although we're working in slightly different fields, I feel like I want to take some of that philosophy uh, going forward into the projects that we do. So I'd say Horace Ove um, for his incredible body of work. Good call. T? Uh, for me, it would have to be uh, Ava DuVernay, um, admirer of her storytelling through documentaries, but also through the empire that she's building. Um, yeah, that's who I'd put forward. Oh, I love every inch of that woman. James? The one person that I'm inspired by the most is myself. I am a G of the highest degree, and I make no bones about saying so. I'm inspired by myself. Like, I wake up every day, like, oh, I'm, I, I was saying the, uh, uh, the word yourself is like the most misused word in the, in the dictionary, right? The phrase, enjoy yourself. I was saying this just the other day, is the most misused phrase. Enjoy yourself. I'm inspired by myself. I come from, the, I was in Mozart Estate. I said, I'm gonna make a Western. Who's in it? Everyone, watch. I'm inspired by myself. I wake up every single morning. I open my eyes. The Lord says, action. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. As we're speaking now, birds are singing, right? Outside. Like, look at our lives. So, you know, uh, I'm awesome. 
You are, you know, I'm, I can't even complain because that's the truth. And that's how I so desperately wanted to have you on our on our podcast. Now, I want you to sprinkle that self-assurance throughout the whole of our community. But it's also, you know, it's always awesome to take inspiration from other people, which I which I which I do. You know, um, the, our sister was saying Ava, Ava Devane, and it's, you know, it's awesome to take inspiration from other people. But it's also it's also like it becomes you get to a stage the older you get, it's politically incorrect to give yourself praise right some were saying you know self-praise is no praise at all that's actually a phrase that's alive in the universe self-praise is the only praise that matters everything else is just noise self-praise is the only praise that matters and in that regard preach my brother preach my brother <laughs> you know what I mean? james samuel is a chief i'm james here for samuel it <laughs> Yeah, man. I, I want to take that energy into the rest of my years, 100%. <laughs> Me too. Me too. I've got a smile like a Cheshire cat on my face right now. That really is, is so true. So true. Sadly, we've come to the end. So I want to thank all three of you for such an insightful chinwag. I've learned so much and it really has been brilliant. Now, we end the programme with a specially commissioned spoken word contribution by a flow poet inspired by our film theme. So a big thank you to flow assist Natalie Stewart from the flow spoken word vortex for sourcing these brilliant creatives. The title of the poem is Every Frame a Painting and the flow poet is Alchemy. So enjoy everyone and do join us again for the next episode of Kiss My Black Side. Imagination in motion, provoking emotion, lights, camera, action. Art impersonating life, on big screens, on small screens, we animate our hopes and dreams, painting scriptures with pictures, exploring our own themes, viewing nuance between the scenes, tired of these other realities. Getting lost in twisted plots of facts presented as fiction. A minefield of false depictions with the ability to restrict the mind. Be mindful not to view with vacant eyes. Don't be blind. Good edutainment can be hard to find, but there's narratives of all kinds. Just pick the caption. Captured. Stories in every frame, tamed. Enslaved oration, emancipated legends, explorations, expositions, manifested memories, probabilities, possibilities, outside the box thinking, every frame, a painting. Kiss My Black Side is a Sadler's Wells production.